Hey, 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 it's Kadabra from Smoke to Smoke again, and I've got something very special to share. If you're a regular listener, you're probably familiar with my homies over at Moonwalker and 3 Chi. But guess what? Now, I've got a brand new company to share that's got a wide range of broad and full-spectrum CBD products. You might be wondering, how wide, Kadabra? Well, I'll tell you. Pinnacle Hemp has CBD bath and body products, capsules, carts, disposable vapes, dabbable concentrates, flour, and they've even got CBD pet products safe for your four-legged friends. But is that not enough? Well, when you use my link to check out their site, you'll be able to look into their catalog of rare cannabinoids as well, like Delta-8, hemp-derived Delta-9, HHC, THCV, and many more of your favorite letters. I know some of you Canna connoisseurs out there are looking for some very special letters in particular though, specifically the COAs, all of which you can view on Pinnacle Hemp's website. And don't forget to use the code CANA15 at checkout for 15% off your order. That's C-A-N-N-A-15 at checkout. Hello and welcome to Smoke to Smoke, the show that'll get you in the know about smoke and drill. I'm your host, Kadabra. With this podcast, I hope to inform you about the fast-growing world of cannabis. I'll be discussing strains, cannabis legislation, groundbreaking studies on the herb, and much more because there's a lot to cover. This podcast is for listeners 18 and up, so if you're a little kid, I'm going to have to ask you to leave for now. But when it's your time, I'll be here and just feel free to hop on back in. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get started. Hello again. For this episode of Smoke to Smoke, I am joined by a heavy hitter in the cannabis and vaping community. Miss Luna Stower is the chief impact officer at iSpire, the third largest vape manufacturer internationally and the inventor of the modern vape pen. Before we get started, though, I have a quick disclaimer. While I make immense effort to broadcast accurate information, I am not a doctor. I am simply presenting my views based on what I gather from my own research. Please do not use this podcast as medical advice, and be sure to consult your physician for any medical issues you may be having. Thank you. Now let's light up and dig in. All right, so I'm planning on covering a lot of information today. And with the help of my special guest, we're going to cover um, a little bit and learn about the cannabis industry, including how it's going and what the future may look like. Today's special guest, Ms. Luna Stower, is an innovator, marketing extraordinaire, and advocate for women, people of cover, color, and small businesses in the cannabis community. She has been conducive to the success of several widely recognized legacy brands, including iSpire Vape, Blue River Terps, Atlas Edibles, Jetty Extracts, and Jetty CBD, among many other brands that you all at home might be familiar with, depending on where you are in the States. Before we dive in, Luna, how are you doing today and what you smoking on? I am so well. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Um, I've been smoking on some of Frenchie Cannoli's um, ice water hash 
He's a well-known Hashishin in Northern California who studied in India and Nepal to learn the ancient ways of making um, cannabis concentrates. So I've been really blessed to be consuming what uh, I've heard was one of the last um, pieces of product that he touched before he passed away. Oh, wow. Well, I'm very glad to have you on the show today. And I've got a few questions for you. And to my understanding, to set up a shop and open the doors for a can of company, the first thing a company needs to do is get licensed to operate. And the process for going about obtaining a license isn't really a simple task and certainly not an inexpensive leap at that. Hmm. There's different processes depending on the type of business you're trying to operate. And I'll be sure to link them in the show notes. But with the help of you, hopefully we can get a better understanding of at least how to go about obtaining a manufacturing license. So on average, how much does it cost to launch a cannabis business? Yeah, like you said, it really depends on where you are. Um, obviously, places like California, Colorado, Washington, Oregon, um, who have more mature marketplaces, it's going to be a lot more expensive. There's a lot more competition. It's just a more mature market um, on the regulatory level and on just the product level and the operator side. <clears throat> and then there's you know places like Oklahoma um, and New Jersey that don't have as many barriers to entry. Um, so I would just say capital is the most important thing, having really smart partners that are, you know, a little bit a mix of roots and a little bit of mix of suits that really understand the, you know, the balance of having legacy people involved in the organization, but also really know how to keep the books and plan for, you know, the triple bottom line, which is the give back to people and making sure that, you know, the low footprint and having, um, you know, just really making space for all the things that cannabis businesses have to do that not everyone else has to do. Like we can't do 280E um, payroll um, tax write-offs. We can't bank, we can't travel or transport or, you know, create any kind of, um, you know, anything that touches the Federal Reserve is off limits for us. So um, I would say that, you know, not only is it expensive as far as, you know, making sure that you have all the permits for the building, all of these permits are non-refundable from the city or the county that you're applying to. So, um, you know, just be really being smart about who's on your board. Um, you know, are the people really familiar with how to run a cannabis business specifically in that state? Um, are you helping lobby? Are you involved in a trade organization that's advocating for your best interests at the government level that you need, whether it's local or state or federal um, to do the business that you need to do? But um, I would say a couple million dollars starting off is is a solid bet um, that just covers, you know, payroll and keeping the lights on while you because the issue with uh, this whole process is that you can't get a license unless you have a space and you can't get a space without money. And the process is very long and tedious. It's bureaucracy. Right. So uh, you're just, you know, paying to have a warehouse, uh, just waiting for them to approve it and. There is inspectors and issues and needs around ADA accessibility. And I've seen people just kind of their businesses uh, really struggle and some go under um, just death by bureaucracy by a thousand paper cuts. Damn. Having a good team of experienced individuals by your side is crucial to securing the cannabis licensing that you need yeah. and just staying afloat. So what would you say this team of individuals should look like starting out and how large should your team be when getting started? Well, you definitely for manufacturing, I mean, if you want to scale, you're going to need a huge team and a really expensive build out. Um, in California, we have licensing to do volatile solvent 
compounds. So we have, you know, C1D1 bomb rooms that are um, explosion safe, that people are running butane and um, other volatile compounds that are making the extracts that they do. And um, so, you know, those are only in areas that are considered green zones. So they're in um, industrial areas where they're not near houses or schools, um, things like that, where it's, there's also a lot of limits to where you can manufacture. Uh, sometimes people can get cottage licenses where they have a small cultivation and they're able to, let's say, um, you know, just uh, batch them out on site and create ace on site and, um, you know, create their own kind of manufacturing and um, situation there. So it really, it really is important. Most importantly of all is to really get to know the regulations of where you want to do business. Um, the people on your team should include people who are experts in real estate, people who are experts in insurance, people who are experts in creating pro formas and um, are able to do projections that are based on real numbers, not the inflated ones we see in the cannabis space from people trying to win investment money or um, compete in the market uh, for people's, you know, attention or, or, or partnerships. So it's really doing a lot of R&D and research. If someone's doing it better than you, do a really good competitive audit. See, you know, if you can't beat them, join them kind of a thing. I think a lot of people want to kind of do it all on their own when a lot of co-ops and collectives um, have come together and it's a lot healthier of a model. Um, I think that's really important for us to be thinking about too, um, is, you know, how collaborative is the team? Is the team made up of people that really care about each other and want to see each other succeed? If you're just a bunch of business folks that um, aren't really invested in each other's personal lives, your, your company's not going to go very far in cannabis. This, this is all based, based on relationships here, as you know. Yeah, so not only does the quantity of the team matter, but really the quality of who you have by your side. Yeah. And, and how professional they are because the people I left out too are just, you know, the OGs, right? The people who know how to, you know, talk to uh, producers that are not going to come off as too corporate or that, you know, that understand what it takes to grow cannabis or that know how distribution works in cannabis and how buyers work in cannabis. Everyone who comes in from alcohol or tobacco or music or any other art fashion industries, they think that they can just copy and paste um, their SOPs from their former jobs into this space. And they're always... Um, really surprised by how it doesn't apply and they have to reinvent their whole professional approach. And um, I think that that's the most important thing is people being honest with each other about where the holes are in your team. You know, if, if you're not lawyered up, if you're not really aware of the regs, um, you're not going to do well in, in cannabis business. This isn't the old world anymore. Like you having good connections and good product is not enough to succeed in, a can in the cannabis industry anymore, unfortunately. It used to be enough. Distro, like a bomb product and a distribution network, that was it. Yeah. You know, but now it's like the packaging, the labeling, the, you know, the the price cutting of the people that are a little bit bigger than the smaller folks that can, you know, race to the bottom on some of these prices that just choke out the small uh, businesses. So um, I usually, un unfortunately, I hate to, you know, kind of be the naysayer, but in a lot of interviews and talks that I give when people talk about getting into the cannabis industry, I really tell, say that most people probably shouldn't be. Um, because they don't have that blend that we're talking about. They they maybe are all roots heavy or all suits heavy um, and aren't really doing the work of really integrating that that well. Um, there's a lot of ego and stubbornness and entitlement and expectation that ha occurs in the in the space, both for newcomers that are coming into the space and OGs that have been in here for a minute. Everyone is, um, it's just, it's got to become kind of a fever pitch of desperation to survive right now. And um, not everyone's a good actor and not everyone is coming into it with their eyes open. Um, they're just kind of reading headlines or watching the stock exchange or thinking about it from kind of a 
imperialistic perspective of how it can be colonized and extracted from instead of what people can bring to it and how they can leave it better than they found it. And I think that's really coming out in the wash now. People that aren't connected to a why or a story or a cause, uh, they're not relevant in this space. They're not succeeding. They're not being talked about. They're not supported in B2B networking spaces. People aren't recommending them to other clients. Um, we know that love is lucrative and that having a triple bottom line baked into everything you do is the best way to run a business in the space. Oh, okay. So um, you also happen to be one of the first members of Jetty Extracts. Would you say that the team of individuals you need to get a product to market is different um, than the individuals needed to get store licensing or is it similar? Well, I mean, it really depends on um, what the regulations are. Some people really need to go heavy into lobbying and showing up at city council meetings and editing for something that like, let's say they want a consumption lounge. And that that's something that they're going to have to put a ton of money into with lobbyists and trade organization uh, membership fees and labor, paying someone to be out there till, you know, sometimes one in the morning on a Tuesday night. Um, you know, at the city, at the city hall downtown. I mean, that's how we've passed every, everything that we've passed here in the Bay area. That's been us knocking on, knocking on doors and doing that work. So that's what we needed at that time in that way. Um, other times you just need a really smart team that knows how to pitch to investors, really good at talking and whining and dining investors and know, knows how to put, you know, a data room together and a really strong pitch. Um, if that's what you're trying to go for, I think that that's, you know, the most important thing is it's really hard to give a one size fits all because, you know, every, every set of circumstances is different, even just based on districts, even within one city, um, people are districted different as far as, you know, which if you're, if your cannabis store can even be on a, a, a street front, or um, sometimes there's like the parking and transportation office that shuts down your permit because you don't have enough parking spots in the parking lot next to you to support. And it's going to overspill into the neighborhood. And now the neighborhood people are coming to the city council meetings and saying, we don't want a dispensary here. And all of those NIMBYs, not in my backyard folks that come out and say, I don't want it here. Um, even though they might be using medical cannabis, everyone just, you know, it's a, just that consciousness. So there's, there's, there's a lot involved. I know people that took five, six years uh, getting licenses and figuring out what was going on. And because the problem with cannabis is the goalposts move every, every so often, every quarter or whatever, you know, from local to state to, to federal licensing and, and, um, and, and just laws around what's legal and what's not and how much that's changing and the, the landscape around descheduling and how that's become a very political issue. You know, we're, we're, there's no, you know, the most important thing to do is really just really focus on having an incredible product or service. Make sure that you are in a market that needs your services. Make sure that you have enough money to actually pay people a living wage so that there's no turnover and you don't hate your job and they don't hate you. And that you are always staying ahead of the curve and working on the business, not just in the business to make sure that you're innovative, you're relevant, you're um, spending money in the right ways, you're not wasting it on marketing that's not, you know, based on data. I know a lot of people spend a lot of money on launching products, and they have no metrics or KPIs to mark what the return on their investment was, you know, how, what was it, was it customer acquisition, was it click-throughs, was it follows, was it likes, was it engagement? Was it, you know, deals closed? Um, and people are just like, oh, let's do this party. Let's do this, you know, this video content. Let's pay this photographer. Let's, you know, sponsor this event. Um, I think that it's, it's, uh, it, it gets, it gets spent really, really fast. And um, I think ma making sure to check in on those data points and making sure that, you know, revenue is at the, is at the core of everything that you're doing. 
Um, cause I have a lot of friends that, I mean, I have friends going out of business every week. I hear another, you know, retailer or uh, manufacturer that's closing their doors because, you know, you have huge, um, consolidated farms, you know, owned by Canadian companies in California and across the country that are producing, um, you know, millions of square feet of canopy and just putting everyone out of business. So you can't really have a business plan if you're not zoomed out enough to see the bigger fish that's right behind you as you're like kind of myopically just focusing on your little chunk of the world make sure that you are integrating in a way that, you know, you're going to keep floating or, you know, get be a barnacle on a larger whale or some kind of a exit strategy that um, accounts for the volatility in the space, really. Yeah, see, that's the thing um, that comes with cannabis. I think as um, it's growing and moves on into the future, a lot of people don't realize that it's not just something to be um, enjoyed in your free time anymore. It's a very political thing, a lot of bureaucracy that goes into it. And I guess you, you would say that there is a definitely a lot of research that you need to do shopping around to find the right community to launch your business in in the first place. Yeah. And that's why I always say, like, if you're not already in the business, don't get into it, because if it wasn't already calling you, then it's not your thing. If you're like, there's so many people that come to me that don't have any of these pieces. They don't know their market. They don't have a good product. They don't have the right team, but they just want to get in the industry. And honestly, like we have enough brilliance in this space already. We don't need more random folks popping up unless they're badasses and they're going to elevate the space. We just don't need them. We really don't. Hmm, okay. Okay. There is currently like a lot of representation of women and people of color um, own businesses in cannabis. Absolutely not. It's actually sad. When I first got into it, they were saying something like, like in 2016, Women Grow did a report saying that 40, that uh, women CEOs in the cannabis space were twice the national average represented as CEOs nationwide in normal non-cannabis. Um, and now it's like 20 which was 40%. I, it was like 20% at the time nationally, but it was 40% in cannabis. And now it's like down to like 17% or something lower than it was when that stat first came out for the just non-cannabis jobs. So women are now less represented in cannabis than even just the average business space. That, so um, it's no, the representation is a major, major problem. Um, and I, I think that that's a really good point um, to, you know, me, me, when I'm thinking about the people that I've had these conversations with, um, they're not, they're not indigenous folks. They're not people of color and they're definitely not women or marginalized folks. The ones that are coming with that intention and that legacy and that experience, um, that perspective and that sensibility are very much welcome in the space because they are underrepresented. Um, I was just at a really cool Oakland equity, um, applicant that got a license here at Oakland. It's called Rooted 510. Um, the area code 510 of Oakland, California, and R-O-O-T uh, apostrophe D. And it's oh, it's co-owned by a Chinese um, man, Daniel Chung, who um, it was uh, the buyer at Harborside for many years. And people have just known him in the space. He's just been an amazing mover and a shaker across so many different brands and retailers. And then um, another partner of his, uh, Ricky, who's an African-American fellow. So we have all of these brilliant folks that are finally kind of getting their day. They're building out a lounge. They did it really well. They, they have an atrium where they're just focusing on um, brands that are led by queer folks, people of color, marginalized folks, women, um, you know, brands that have a social equity component or a give back program. Um, they're highlighting them in a beautiful atrium in the middle of their store saying, you know, this is what's important to us. Um, and it's really working for them. They have a very high class kind of feel to their to their space. So it's good to see, um, you know, because I've seen all kinds. And it's not to say that, you know, 
uh, normative folks that people who are typically the most represented, usually typically older um, Caucasian male um, that, you know, not to say that they're not doing an excellent job um, of working with the plant and they're, you know, in Northern California, that's, you know, the majority of people who brought a lot of um, genetics and the cultivation to market um, are, are representing that, that, you know, kind of ethnicity, but in the cities, that's really not how it is. Like for us here in Oakland, it's like all the folks of color, all the immigrant folks, they were the ones that really had the, the lockdown on the distribution networks and um, incredible cultivation practices. They are, you know, who are do, doing indoor. I mean, they're not on the hill in rural areas or in cities. So, you know, we owe a lot of our, you know, California indoor uh, cannabis culture to immigrant folks and women. And I mean, even me myself, like it helped put me through school. Um, I've been able to be a self-sustaining female my whole life without the help of a man because of cannabis. Like that's a story of a lot of women that I know. And it's been a very empowering path for me personally and for other um, women who are trying to break that con concept that, you know, you need to get married and be attached to um, a breadwinner to, you know, be feel stable and feel confident that you're going to have what you need in your life to, you know, be comfortable or whatever. So, yeah, I think that it's, it's really exciting to see how many folks of color are coming in. I think that, you know, something that um, my friend Dimitri from Mita, the Marijuana Industry Trade Association of Arizona says is, you know, get rid of all licensing caps. Um, there shouldn't, no, there should not be a minimum or a maximum cap on, how many licenses are given out, let it be merit-based and let everyone um, get a chance. So I'm all about kind of that free market. Let's see what happens. But um, I think that a lot of people come in with a lot of false confidence um, and naivety, and it actually muddies up the space and makes it worse for everyone. When people just, you know, it's like saying, oh, I want to be a nurse, but like, you don't like studying and you're grossed out by blood and you don't want to work in a hospital. It's like, okay, well, yeah. I'm glad you like think you want to be a nurse, but you actually don't want to be a nurse. Same thing. It's like with cannabis. It's like when you talk to them and you see their lifestyle and their connection to the plant or lack thereof, their team, their product, you're like, I don't, I don't get why you're so sure of yourself surviving. I've seen a million people like you just crash and burn in the first three months because they're just, they're so far away from the reality of, of what it is day to day to be in this space that they're just, they're not, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, a, a non-viable venture. Yeah, there's a lot of people that are kind of attaching on to the hype of cannabis without realizing what all comes with being a part of the plant. Amen. Uh, now, cannabis is a cash-only business due to a lot of antiquated drug laws put in place to negate money laundering by drug cartels. Uh, the laws have not been updated at pace with the times to account for local growers and retailers that work legally within their states. So these guys are still technically seen as illegal drug runners and under like under federal banking laws. Can you explain some of the issues cannabis companies are having in regards to getting financial support from banks? Well, imagine trying to do business and not being able to accept a payment from a B2B vendor via ACH wire or PayPal or Zelle. Um, imagine having to close a retail at the end of the day when you've made, you know, a quarter of a million dollars in sales and you just have like a hired security guard that's just like watching outside, maybe if you're lucky and you can afford them because they're actually extremely expensive. Even though they don't get paid very much, the, the cost of the security company is very, very high. It can be, you know, $20,000 a month to have one guard there four nights a week. So um, you've got people robbing you. You've got Uncle Sam robbing you. Everyone's taking a cut, right? In Oakland, California, we have the highest tax rates of anywhere in the country or like one, one of the top two. 
um, it's like you're you're spending you know 40% more um, than what you were b before legalization or it's not I never use the word legalization it's tax control and regulate we did not legalize no one's legalized um, yet um, decriminalization is is actually what what legalization is and we have we actually made more crimes against cannabis here in California when we when we regulated so um, I try to be careful about my language because that's the problem was everyone voted for it thinking that they were decriminalizing it when really they were just handing all control over to the state and they're just mucking it up left and right um, yeah you can't bank so you can't um, you know even just pay, not just paying people out having payroll you know if you're if you're receiving monies from a license holding company and that's on your w2 and you go to apply for a loan penny mac fannie mae they're not going to give you a loan you have to get a hard money loan at a really high interest rate with god knows who these people are you know what i'm saying like it's everything um you know you can't get insurance on you know the building if your building burns down or you get robbed you're not able to be insured because you're not a legal entity because you know and you can't even protect your own ip that's another thing not not necessarily related to, to banking but because it's all under this federal piece you know there's unless you have merchandise that's the only reason that certain companies have been able to kind of brand their name is they have merch and um you know apparel that they're selling that they use that that cannabis brand for but if unless you're doing that like you can't just you know, even if you've been out in the market for 25 years and you can prove that everyone knows you, you're not a legal federal entity. So you have no federal rights to any any product services or marks that you patent or that you trademark. It's not seen by the patent office as, as um, you know, you're not a legal entity. So um, I think that those are the biggest pieces um, is just security. You know, people are having to hire you know, armed vans run by ex, uh, you know, ex-military and veterans and stuff who are trained with um, firearms because people are losing their lives all the time over heists around cannabis. Um, we're getting targeted because people know we can't bank and that we're holding everything in safes. And um, as retailers, um, it's it's really unsafe because you have a you you have a Google address. Anyone can see your office hours. They can scope you out. You know, it's it's very dangerous, very unsafe, and um, it's one of the many ways that. I feel like the, 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 you know, the controlling and regulating of cannabis is actually leading to a lot more instability, crime, um, and issues than when it was a medical model in, in California. It's really, you know, I mean, we love the testing. We love, we love the lab testing. Uh, we love, uh, to some degree, seed to sale tracking is really important for recalls. Uh, but, you know, people are using antiquated methods like metric, you know, they're subcontracting with these contractors that are have really bad histories of being bad actors. And people are having to list everything on a on a on a website that goes down all the time. And if you mess up one decibel point, it's three months of, you know, fines and waiting to hear back from someone who doesn't get back to you. It's, I just talk to operators every day who want to quit. Um, the, they, they, they want to tire us out with the hoops that they make us jump through, you know, so it takes a really resilient personality to stick through this. It's not for the faint of heart and it's not for bootstrappers. Um, you know, that's the other, to your point also about folks of color and women and all these people um, that want to get in, you know, sometimes they'll get preferred licensing or they'll get some kind of a dangle, but they don't get loans, uh, interest-free loans. They don't get business classes that, um, you know, bring them up to speed if they haven't been given, you know, opportunities to learn certain things about certain, you know, whatever, 
you know, typical business uh, school or typical entrepreneurial uh, skills that not everyone has coming into the space. Maybe they were previously incarcerated. Maybe they weren't given those opportunities, but they're bright and they're down to do it. And they, you know, they've been doing their own kind of business in their own way. And they, all they need is just a little bit of training. So that's the thing that we've noticed is just like when you give folks scholarships, doesn't mean they're going to finish the school year if they don't feel seen and uh, safe and appreciated and, and, you know, supported at the university or at the space that they're in. So we're seeing that too from entrepreneurs. They're, you know, given given a shot at a license, but then it's just, they're left on their, to their own devices without any real help with capital. Um, so they're not able to necessarily hire, um, you know, the, the best people or, you know, train them or keep them at a really good salary and really invest in their people because they're just, you know, bootstrapping and trying to get through with what little um, capital investment they might have had from friends or family or a capital investor, maybe that they had to sell out a lot of their company, let's say they're, you know, they have to sell 51% of their company. Now they're not even owners anymore, uh, because they came in without any capital. So that's always kind of a, a bummer too, is like you, you, you hear about all these numbers online about, you know, these equity programs, but when you really talk to the people in them and see the success rates, they're, they're not always uh, very happy stories. Unfortunately, they, they really feel like they had a bait and switch um, in a lot of cases. And so we're hoping that moving forward, we have really, you know, meaningful uh, policy that actually has teeth and really gives people a leg up, not just throws them a bone and checks a box and people get to walk away feeling good that they did their part to, you know, have some kind of, you know, reparations or, um, you know, affirmative action or something like that. But, but it's not, it's not uh, authentic or genuine in, in, in reality. Yeah, and like the legislation that you said, um, is there like any type of legislation that companies can use to like some type of workaround with these banking issues that they're having? Like um, I've been hearing about the Safe Banking Act. Is that making things easier for cannabis businesses? Well, yeah, the Safe Banking Act, um, you know, the the that's another goalpost that keeps moving consistently. Um, right now, people are just having to work with payment processors. Um I've actually got stuck with one when I was working with Jetty CBD. We um, actually had to like take to Twitter to like threaten these dudes to give us, I think it was called green box or something like that. They, yeah, they were keeping tens of thousands of dollars of people's money, not just ours. Like there was a dozen other companies that they were holding on to because in the, you know, they'll shut the account down and they, they can hold on to your money, even though they know that you're cannabis, they say that they work with cannabis. So um that was a few years ago. Hopefully it's sophisticated a little bit since then. Um, but there are, you know, some, some payment processors out there that do accept credit cards. Like you can walk into a club in Oakland right now and use a credit card. Um, but some days you walk back in and they, then it's down um, and it's back up another day and then it's down, or you can't run, you know, a report on this week when you're a brand, like sometimes I would call them with Jetty and ask for a report and they'd be like, Oh, the, you know, the, the banking system was down that day. We just did all cash or whatever. So it wasn't through the back end system or, you know, it's, it's still just very kind of hot and cold based on um, what's happening in Congress, what's happening, you know, on the servers. Um, if there's something's being held for review because someone reported you, so maybe a bot caught something. If there's a, the word vape in your name, um, sometimes people are just getting flagged for transacting anywhere just with anything with cannabis in the name. Um, so I think that that's, you know, the, the most important thing that goes back to kind of that research is really making sure that the people that you're working with um, have a clean account, because sometimes we would get shut down when we were uh, receiving from another account that got shut down. So, um, yeah, it's really unfortunately right now, I think the most important thing is really just, you know, making sure that you are storing your cash in a really safe place. And um, we can't rely on banking as of right now. Um, but hopefully, I mean, they're saying the safe banking actually come up in the next couple of years. 
and that should be, you know, a game changer. And that was an issue that I was having when I was um, trying to get set up with my affiliates was that I I tried to get set up with PayPal and uh, a few minutes into um, signing up, doing all the little um, sign up information, I found out that I got banned from the platform for um, potentially having some fraudulent activity going on. Yep. And uh, they wouldn't really give me a straight answer on what was going on. And they don't. That's the thing. They treat you the same way as Instagram. When you were talking about your um, your your uh, guest that was mentioning that they got shadow banned and deleted from Instagram, like there's just there's it's so simple. There's just a line that says you can't prom- promote the use or sale of an illegal substance. So that is such a subjective line that just the lawyers of any company they'll just they it's so it's so interpretable, right? It's like oh. You know, if you're educating about it, that's technically promoting the use of it, technically. So even me, I'm an education page. I've been shadow banned for years. Like I have very little engagement and growth on my page because I'm constantly um, posting about cannabis. I'm never doing any kinds of sales. I'm never doing really any kinds of even promotion. It's just, you know, consumption or talking about it or just having it even on screen. Like people are getting their Twitter or not their Twitter, their um their Snapchats and their TikTok accounts taken down just for having smoke like in the in the screen, like someone has a lit joint. Um, so I think that, that it's like, we really have to remember this is still very illegal and these platforms do not want us on them until their lawyers can sleep at night knowing that we're not in violation. Even if these platforms are, are friendly to us, even if PayPal and Instagram really wanted to support cannabis, like maybe their boardrooms that are all like use cannabis and really want to see that, the lawyer at the end of the day is going to interpret that line to just, they're going to cover their, cover their butts. You know, that's, that's, that's what a lawyer's job is, is to do is to assume worst case scenario and prepare you for the worst. And so that's why everyone's acting with such, such a collar around their necks because no one wants to get sued for promoting illegal substances and drugs. They still consider this a drug. You know, we all know it's not, we all know it's medicine and it's a libation and it's a plant medicine, but it's not like that everywhere, you know, and unfortunately right now, this is a big country with a lot of different states and everyone has a different take on this. And whether you like it or not, our constitution is such that state rights, you know, Trump, um, you know, what, what the federal, the feds do, um, unless it's something that's on a, a schedule, a federal schedule. And that's what, that's what we've got going on with cannabis. Some people just want it to be descheduled instead of, or rescheduled instead of descheduled so that um, it still keeps it somewhat protected. That's probably another whole podcast in and of itself yeah um but like in your experience what industry in a field that's still federally illegal what's it like being in in, in an industry that's still technically illegal yeah oh man it's entertaining it's stressful it's maddening it's exciting it's disruptive it's unique it's really like a ripe opportunity for a lot of growth and change um, it's revolutionary. It's just completely heartbreaking and mind melting and just tiring, to be honest. You have to love it. You have, that's what I was saying in the beginning. If, if you're not really in this to win this, if you don't really, if this isn't one of your life's bit most important purposes, like this space is going to eat you up and spit you out because it's not meant for us to succeed. They don't want to see cannabis to be a consumer package good. They will you know, they want to see it, but they want it to be, you know, from big pharma or big alcohol. They don't want to see small rural areas getting um, economic relief from this plant. I mean, it's just, it's, it's an uphill battle. So 
um, we're still in the dark ages of prohibition. So it's, it's hard. I mean, I'm a, I'm a licensed uh, credentialed teacher in the state of California. I have my master's degree in teaching. I taught in public schools and prisons for years. And um, it's, it's, you know, it sucks to know that I would have a stigma against me if I tried to go back into the classroom, you know, students and parents yeah. being able to look up my involvement in the cannabis industry. And it's, it's, it's discriminatory. Um, I couldn't, you know, I, I, until I, I, now I work in ancillary, I don't touch the plant. So my uh, paychecks come from a uh, hardware company. That's the only reason I could get a loan to refinance my house. You know, I couldn't um, get one when I was working directly from someone that was making money from the plant that had a, a mailing address on a license, um, licensee. So oh, wow. yeah, this is, yeah, it's, it's not that, I mean, it's exciting if you really, it's like a marathon. It's like signing up for a marathon when you're, when you're not in shape, it's like for a marathon runner that, that loves the marathon and has done a it a million times, they're going to really enjoy that marathon. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be stressful, but it's going to be like something that's, you know, that person's able to kind of rise above those things and really enjoy it. Um, I feel like some folks getting into the industry are just really out of shape and they're not able to enjoy like the swimming or the bicycling or the views or the cheering on of the people around them or, you know, the, the, the pleasure of the runner's high when you're just kind of in a trance, you're just like, think, you know, you're, you're not, you're not in the zone. You don't really know what to expect. Every turn is another like, oh my God, how much longer do I have to go versus someone whose muscle memory just knows how to pace themselves and, I think that that's, you know, something really important for people to be honest about. It's like, how in shape are you for this marathon? Because it's not a sprint. It's a marathon made up of a bunch of sprints, but it in and of itself is an endurance um, test. And it's, it's not for the faint of heart. So if you would say that, let's say if somebody is very passionate about it, they feel they have the resilience to take this on long term, um, despite the ups and downs that come with it. How do you even go about finding a job in the cannabis industry? Um, I'm not sure how far how far uh, reaching and widely used it is, but Indeed.com um, has been really friendly to listing cannabis jobs and LinkedIn. Um, both of them are both really uh, cannabis friendly platforms that allow people to um, talk about cannabis, um, uh, allow cannabis in their job descriptions, and hire for cannabis jobs. Um, obviously, you just you know want to be aware of how you're wording things. They're not like super. Um, excited about it, but they're just not um, antagonistic or actively banning or, um, you know, censoring any of those kinds of posts. So those are the two places I would definitely look for them and, um, you know, try to branch out from just the typical bud tender job. Although I will say if you starting in the industry, everyone should be a bud tender for at least three to six months. Um, you learn so much about packaging and branding. Learn, you learn so much about um, the regulations of how to sell you learn a lot about the market need um, every, you know, it's constant focus groups and market research every day. And there you see what the patterns are and how people engage with the plant, with the brands and with the retail space. Um, and then from there, you can, you know, you'll meet a bunch of brands and meet a bunch of people. And if you wanted to skip out um, and check out another retailer or check out a brand and maybe become a sales rep for them, or maybe work in their office, or maybe get really passionate about HR and cannabis or um, you know, some, uh, you know, there's an entire space just in the laboratory and science and technology space. Um, people who are really good at accounting, really good at numbers. We always need really good lawyers and accountants in cannabis because they're navigating um, all of these regulatory obstacles we've been discussing so far. So 
yeah, that's, that's your best bet is, you know, start at the bottom level, just like Anthony Bourdain and all these amazing chefs, they all started out washing dishes. Um, don't think that just cause you were the top insurance salesman at your company, you're going to come into a sales organization in cannabis and kill it. Um, it's very unlikely that you are, especially if you're bringing in the same skills and habits that you did from another space and just try to apply it in a blanket way here. Um, you're going to be very disappointed in the response. And what would you say are some changes in the cannabis industry you hope to see in the future to make things easier for women, people of color, vets, and other members of deprived communities so that they can thrive, so that they can thrive? My bad. I can't talk. <laughs> no, you sound great. I love your accent. It's so soothing. Um, I I mean, yeah, we, we touched on it a little bit, but really, um, you know, we talk about, um, you know, social justice and ways to really bake into our business plans of give back. So, you know, have a story, donate, you know, what you can uh, to veterans or to people of color or to good organizations that you love to work with. You have a give back program and you can include it on your packaging and on your content, on your Instagram, on your blog. Um, when you're selling to, you know, B2B or B2C um, customers, you can kind of put that in there as a reason why, you know, they can feel good about working with you um, and give, you know, give these marginalized folks or underrepresented folks um, equity positions, leadership positions, decision-making positions, not just hire them as um, labor and the lowest uh, earners, you know, really have those folks in the ranks um, who, you know, have incredible experience and have maybe not been given a seat at the table um, and could use, you know, a little um, extra um, attention and support as they're coming into the space to really make sure that they feel like they're getting, you know, what they need to really hit the ground running and, and add all of the brilliance that they have to, to what we need in this space, which is, you know, we need all hands on deck. Anyone who loves this plant and has a history working with it and, um, you know, has some skills and talents to offer to the space is absolutely welcome. And um, I think that that's the most important thing is just really keeping an open mind and an open heart, um, being open and willing to see change. And I know that even as, you know, kind of, <laughs> critical as I can be about things just because I've been in the space over 10 years and just seen so much, um, so many extinction events occur with a lot of family businesses going under who really had a great product, a great business plan and great team. You know, I'm still trying to stay positive and still hope that the future is bright for all these um, dope people that want to get in and, um, you know, hopefully they can, they can succeed. All right. And before we finish off today's interview, can you tell us a little bit about iSpire, like how long you've been a VP of sales for it and maybe one impact you hope to make with the company? So actually it just goes to show how old our show notes are because I'm now the chief impact officer, but, you know, still so connected oh, wow. to the sales team. I mean, it's all under revenue, but um, yeah, I got a promotion since our, since our last chat. So that's exciting. Um, well, so yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I've been with them two years this week. Um, they're an incredible company. Um, we are based out of the United States. We do vape hardware for the cannabis industry. And so we do um, disposable vape pens, cartridges, batteries, and induction dab devices like the dab and the wand, which are torch replacement tools um, for high temperature vaporization of concentrate. So I've been traveling around speaking at conferences from Berlin to Spain to um, you know, Vegas, New Jersey, Oklahoma, all over the place, Santa Rosa, and uh, really just trying to spread the good word about, you know, how to 
really up your game as a as an oil manufacturer with flavor tech we're really dial in the technology and hardware to really work with the viscosities and the uh, the temperature sensitivities of the terpenes in the delta 9 um, space as well as in the hemp space but um, in california really we're focusing on all of our incredible live rosins and um you know hash and concentrates that we make here butters and sugar and batter and shatter and all the things that we love vaping um, we really just try to make um, a really high quality premium experience for everyone who uses cannabis. So um, check us out. We're at get Icefire on Instagram, uh, get icefire.com. And yeah, you can follow me as well on Instagram. I'm Luna underscore Stower, S-T-O-W-E-R um, or lunastower.com. You can read more about my activism and my um, past as a consultant and all the stuff I've done in this space. And I'm always open to any listeners or anyone out there who is inspired or um, has questions or comments or needs <clears throat> any support at all. I'm always here as a mentor to folks that uh, really care about the plant and plant medicine. Um, you know, we're also working on legalizing psychedelics. We just passed it here in San Francisco. Um, I worked on the initiative in Oakland. We got it passed in Santa Cruz and Denver. So uh, this goes way beyond just cannabis. This is a, you know, movement for medicinal freedom. And I'm really proud to be a part of it. Oh, wow. I didn't even know all that. That is very exciting. Thank you. Hey everybody, it's Kadabra from Smoke to Smoke. Before we get back into today's episode, I want to give y'all the 411 on two companies with great Delta 8 and rare cannabinoid products that can be delivered right to your door. You've heard me talk about these guys in previous episodes because I really love what they've got to offer. If you're looking for some high quality rare cannabinoid products, look no further. My boys at 3Chi and Moonwalker have got you covered. If you're looking for a wide range of quality tinctures, gummies, vapes, and even want to have the option to customize your own bundles, check out Moonwalker. Now, 3Chi is near and dear to my heart because as you guys know, I talk a lot about how much I enjoy their HHC products, but they've got so much more than that. They've got new products coming out, which means new cannabinoids for you to try. They've got Delta 8 drinks and shots, and the hemp-derived Delta 9 products you love, like chocolates, brownies, and cookies. They've also got a nice selection of CBD creams, tinctures, and blended CBD carts with different blends for different needs like calm and focus. Check out both of these guys. I'll link them in the show notes along with my affiliate links. And use this for a little bit off on me. It'd mean a lot. everybody. Before we finish off today's episode, I want to drop another little nug of knowledge on y'all. It's time to take a blast to the past to learn about some historical gas. Let's get high on history. To date, there are 11 U.S. presidents that have experimented with cannabis. Although nobody knows for sure if the herb of choice was enjoyed within the walls of the White House on a frequent basis, what we do know is that former President John F. Kennedy smoked weed medicinally to alleviate his back pain, among with other elements. If you aren't familiar with him, John F. Kennedy is an American politician who served as the 35th President of the United States from 1961 until his assassination near the end of his third year in office. A 1998 book on Mary Meyer, one of JFK's mistresses, 
recounted a 1976 National Enquirer story that Meyer and Kennedy smoked cannabis at the White House once, although this account was never confirmed by other witnesses, if there were any. Thanks for getting high on history with me this week. Now let's get back to the episode. Yeah, and finally, um, some lightning round quick answer questions, just so we can get to know a little bit more about you personally. So, what's your favorite time of the year? Oh, I'm a summer baby through and through. My birthday's July, mid-July, and um, I, I'm actually really bummed right now today. Like, we've had a hot spell up here in the Bay, and it's, like, totally overcast and breezy, and I'm, like, still in my shorts and T-shirt. Like, even though I'm cold, I'm, like, holding on to the last days of summer. So, that's, yeah, that's a no-brainer. Oh, wow. Yeah, for me, like, today, it was finally a break in the weather because it's been a heat index here, like, 100 plus. Like, we got up to 120 heat index one day. Ooh. It's too much. I don't like the summertime. I'm more of like a fall winter person. Like my husband and I, we got the same birthday and we're both fall babies and we like keeping it very nice and cool. Oh, cute. That's awesome. Yeah. Both my, my parents were six days apart in age. They were both Scorpios too. They were in November. And yeah, I love the witchy season too, because I'm, you know, being a cancer, I love being home. So having an excuse to like snuggle up and I have three dogs and a cat. Um, and I have a partner I've been with. It'll be our 10 year anniversary this, this December. So, you know, cuddle season is always really fun too. I love the fall colors. I was just walking the dog today and seeing all the leaves change. And yeah, we're really blessed in the Bay area to kind of get somewhat of four seasons, not like you guys get in the rest of the country, but, um, it, we are on kind of the Marina on the Pacific ocean. So we do get, you know, really cold nights and not too hot of days, but yeah, it's, it's been, it's the perfect place to grow weed. That's why California is so famous for it, right? We have this incredible marine layer that comes in from the Pacific and it's just so good for the wine and the, the weed and the weather and the vibes. It's so fun. Nice. Yeah, I feel like, although I've heard you guys have been having some fire issues in California. Oh, I feel yeah. like this, this summer, our weed crop, if we were allowed to have any, would have been like, crisped up by this point oh yeah that's the problem with outdoor is yeah it's rough because then when there's a fire everyone uh pops for microbiological contaminants and their certificates of analysis when they get their lab results and they can't sell their outdoor crops because a farm next to them burned and there was a little ash that landed or something and yeah it, it's a major problem up here i have a friend who just lost her whole property i have a bunch of friends who have grows that yeah every fire yeah we're in fires we just started fire season i guess like the end of august really is when it starts and it gets really bad around October. Um, we haven't seen the worst of it yet. I think our worst months have been November, actually. So um, knocking on wood that it's, but it's it's really not, it's not looking good. So that's why a lot of people are moving indoors. Um, unfortunately, I'm not a big fan of indoor flower uh, for a lot of different reasons, but um, it's consistent. You know, when you're talking about scaling a business, you have to have consistent products. So unfortunately, that's one of the downsides of uh, losing our craft kind of farmer vibe in California and moving to these, mega grows um a lot easier from the consumer packaged goods perspective but it's not really good for the um diversity and the artisanal approach to um cannabis cultivation and and genetics yeah i'm not enough of a can, uh, can of connoisseur yet to where i can really taste the difference between indoor and outdoor flowers so, I mean, the, the most, the most common way to tell is just by looking at it. Um, usually it has a lot more crystals on it. Um, it's, unless it's incredibly good, uh, light depth or outdoor, but also what I found is just, you know, it can sometimes be a little bit drier. Um, sometimes, um, depending on how it's watered and how the nutrients are flushed out of it. Sometimes people are using only a simple MPK kind of 
nutrients um, because they're worried about microbiological contaminants. So things that we use in outdoor grows like, um, you know, compost and soil and, um, you know, worm compost tea and things like that, um, they pose a threat to um, indoor sterile facilities that can't uh, run the risk of having um, a contamination and then they have to do a recall on the batch. So we've just noticed that sometimes just the, 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 the simplicity and cleanliness of the nutrients and of the space um, kind of just makes it, it makes it a perfect quote, perfect, you know what I mean? But something's always lost when something's kind of modified in that way or put in a somewhat an artificial environment. Um, there's always something that's going to be lost a little bit of the magic, a little bit of the, um, of the love sometimes. I mean, not every, this is, you know, uh, there's caveats. I've seen incredible indoor grows that are doing a great job. I've seen uh, really crappy outdoor grows that could just as much have bad nutrients as well. But in general, in California, um, the best, you know, the best outdoor grow, um, is, is what will win every time at Emerald Cup this year. It was all regenerative, agriculturally farmed cannabis that won, um, the, the Emerald Cup awards competition. Uh, it was a, you know, a, a double blind, uh, judges and, you know, there were indoor, outdoor light depth and outdoor was the one that won all the top categories. So even in, in blind judging, um, the best outdoor is still going to beat the best indoor. Okay. I'll have to definitely get more, like, I feel like once I get more within the medical program, I'll get more into, like, the different um, flavors and, like, the just the quality of the ca uh, the cannabis. Because I'm still getting um, familiar with, like, um, defining tastes and scents to things as well. I'm well, still very new to it. Well, the thing is, is that people forget is that you can have a cut that, you know, from the same plant or the same genetics um, that, and all the cuts, you know, express different phenotypes. Some of them are going to be really purple and have a lot of myrcene and linalool in it. Other ones are going to present more orange and have more of the pining in them um, or the limonene in them or something like that, where it's like, wait, all of these are the same genetics. So if you're trying to, to kind of back engineer what strain it is by sight or smell, um, we're really, you know, if someone who's doing this really well in this space, I recommend everyone go check out Phytofacts, P-H-Y-T-O, Facts, uh, F-A-C-T-S, uh, by SC Laboratories. Um, now they go by SC Labs or they used to be Santa Cruz Laboratories, but, uh, they just rebranded, um, around this whole program called Phytofacts, which is what we use, uh, when we were judging, I was a judge for the Emerald Cup in the cartridges competition category, um, and all of the judges across all the categories, edibles, flowers, uh, vapables, all the, all, you know, there was maybe 10 different categories. Um, we all were going by these phytofact groupings of terpenes. Instead of calling something a sativa or an indica, we were calling it a jack or a dessert or an exotic or an OG. And there's, you know, ways that they're kind of mapping um, common patterns so that instead of talking about it as, um, you know, a strain in and of itself or just by one terpene or just by, you know, something maybe it has Girl Scout cookies in it, but it can't be defined as a cookies because it's got something else in it as well. Um, and it kind of pulls it into another category. There's a really cool nuance um, and scientific, scientific data set out there that's really helping us uh, rename and more accurately describe what we're looking at when we're seeing and smelling um, and naming um, these strains. It's really an exciting field of, of, uh, of science and discovery right now. And I highly recommend Alec Dixon, um, one of the founders over there at SE Labs. He's a brilliant mind and has been working on this for years. And it's, it's changing the whole game. Oh, that sounds very interesting. Now, yeah. how long have you been smoking? Mm. 
I've been smoking. My first time smoking was, I was 11 years old. It was 1996. I was in sixth grade. Um, in 1996 in California, we passed Proposition 215, which was the Brownie Mary and Dennis Perone Medical Cannabis Act. And uh, that was when collectives were able to open up and actually distribute. Um, if you went and got a medical recommendation, which was pretty easy to get at the time, um, you could have access to medical cannabis for almost no cost. Uh, it was ridiculously cheap and available in hundreds of places around the Bay Area. There were a ton of uh, dispensaries and clubs and delivery services. So um, it was very easy to get. It was everywhere around me, smoking it. People were growing it. Um, I was even selling it through school. Um, it's what put me through college. It's what what, you know, got me my, my degree. Um, it's, you know, what got me my house, like everything, um, I have, I owe to having cannabis, even when I had a mainstream job, um, it was always, um, a secondary income stream, whether I was doing, you know, pop-up educational events or actually doing, you know, um, vending for, um, cannabis brands into retailers. I, it was always something that was a part of my life. I was always going to 420 parties and, um, hosting events at my house with a cannabis bar, um, even before this was even, you know, kind of a thing that people were doing. So yeah, it's, I feel really lucky to be from um, Oakland, California, which in my opinion is the epicenter of legal cannabis for the world. Next to, you know, obviously after Amsterdam, that was kind of its own cool thing. But, um, you know, even in Amsterdam, they were still using our genetics and our, and our weed. Every time there was an Amsterdam um, International Cannabis Cup, it was Cali Growers, Cali Genetics and Cali Weed that was winning the, uh, that was winning their cup. So even in that instance, there's still, uh, you know, a nod to California um, culture and, and seeds and, and brilliance. Okay, okay. Um, now, I've only been smoking, like, at this point, probably less than a decade, uh, but I'm still getting very, um, I'm kind of getting my way, um, dipping my toe into the community and getting to know folks. It's a very vast community with a lot of lovely people. Agreed. I love this space. I tell people all the time. I was just, you know, with family yesterday. They're like, are you happy at your job? Like, what are you doing? Because all they see me is like flying around the world and doing all this wild stuff. You know, this is like I'm from a pretty, you know, pretty quiet area. You know, not many people in my life are doing things that are to the level that I'm doing as far as just being like an international cannabis, um, you know, kind of just educator and, and change maker. And I was like, actually, I'm really grateful because I, every event I go to, they're like seeing friends, like every, like even this podcast, it's a Sunday afternoon. I could be with friends and family and I'm loving doing this on my day off because it means so much to me and talking and connecting about this and educating folks and, um, you know, bringing people's awareness to their relationship with plants is such an important part of my life. And, um, it attracts the most kind hearted, loving heart centered people. It also attracts some randoms that, you know, try or, you know, failed in other spaces and there's a lot of leeches and, and bad actors, but for the most part, they're in the far, far, far minority. And the majority of people that I meet are absolute sweethearts. They really are committed to doing good work. They're, you know, uh, giving up a lot and compromising and sacrificing a lot of their personal lives to be in association with something that is such a bad, um, connotation in our in our communities and in the United States for the most part it's really hard to come out as being in the cannabis industry um, when you're from you know certain backgrounds or certain areas that are just really not friendly to that so um, yeah I, I think that I agree completely I we're so blessed to have um, you know healers not dealers you know as the new wave of, of the cannabis space now what are your top three favorite ways of getting baked I'm a big dabber. I love dabbing. Um, my our we have an induction all glass, um, no atomizer electronic dab rig. Um, it's called the Dab D A A B. 
and it's badass. I love it. It's super easy to use. You can dab at low temperatures. You get all the flavors of the cannabis. It's super clean. You're not inhaling over any um, electronic, uh, you know, pieces or atomizers or coils or anything like that. It's just an all glass airway. So I really like that. It feels very pure. It feels really um, like a clean way to consume. Um, I'm also a big fan of hash spliffs. Um, with hash and cannabis and a little bit of tobacco or rolled in a tobacco leaf. That's kind of a special occasion. I'm not like a huge tobacco smoker, but I do, you know, I've kind of between be, you know, going to going to school in the Bay area where everyone smokes spliffs um, and um, you know, being uh, tra traveling in Europe a lot where everyone smokes spliffs, it's just kind of become a part of the ritual for me. Um, and then I also really like uh, microdosing, um, cannabis, um, edibles. I don't like to do heavy edibles. I like to just do like five milligrams, um, you know, at the end of a work day or something like that to just relax my body. Those are my favorite ways to consume. Yeah. I, I really like microdosing edibles. I've gotten into that recently, uh, just enough to elevate my mood and boost yeah. my appetite. Love it. Yeah. It's been really great. Now, um, let's see if you could, uh, pick a superpower what would it be and we got a little bit of time left i'm gonna let you go here soon but... if i could have a superpower i would want to well it's two parts i mean i guess if the superpower was really really super it would just be to instill love in all people and remove violence and hate from the world i know that seems really crunchy and hippy dippy but i swear that's literally the one wish that i would have and if that's too lofty, then to like turn back time so that we could try to do things over again differently, because there's so many points in history that we were at crossroads where we just really did the wrong thing. Um, and I would love to see if we could like turn that around. But I mean, that really just relates back to transforming, uh, you know, this world into a safe, harmonious place where we're appreciating the gift of life instead of, um, you know, creating misery and suffering for each other and ourselves. Wow, that was that was, I was not expecting such a powerful answer for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, obviously being invisible and being able to fly would be dope too, but you know. Okay, okay. <laughs> so we got um internal love, eternal love, uh invisibility, flying, and uh turning back time. That's four and one, but I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> See, you can never if you ask for it, you never know. You might get it. And finally, could you tell the listeners just one last time how to find you and your company online? Absolutely. Yeah, we're at getispire.com, G-E-T-I-S-P-I-R-E.com, uh, lunastower.com, L-U-N-A, S as in Sam, T-O-W-E-R. Um, and we're on Instagram at, at getispire and at luna underscore stower. Um, I also have another page called Healers Not Dealers with periods in between each word. So healers dot not dot dealers. Um, that's really focused on cannabis advocacy and plant medicine advocacy. Um, and yeah, we're really excited. We're I'm heading to Oklahoma next week to launch a cartridge recycling program in Oklahoma. So really trying to, you know, make my role as chief impact officer as impactful as possible. Nice. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. And um, we we definitely covered a lot of information. Uh, thank you so much for just um, talking a little bit about your company, talking about the cannabis industry as a whole. And it gives us a lot of perspective to think on what we can do from here. Absolutely. That's the goal. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate you. Of course. And you take care and I will see you around. Peace.
Hey you. Yeah, you. Do you have a question you want to ask or do you want to submit an idea for a future show? Email me at smoketosmoke420 at gmail.com or you can send me a voice message on Anchor FM. Please be sure to give the show a review and share the show at your next smoke sesh. The podcast email will be included in the show notes. Also, did you know that Smoke to Smoke has a cannabis now? The podcast is currently hardcore shadow banned on Instagram, so I have severely reduced how often I post on there as to not get the account disabled. But you can check out Smoke to Smoke underscore podcast on Cannabuzz, and daily I post on there the Dabtionary and Anatomy of a Strain infographics, and they're all uncensored and you don't have to worry about me getting banned from there. So thank you all for tuning in this week and be sure to check in on Cannabuzz. I'll see you all next time. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Smoke to Smoke. This will be the last episode of Smoke to Smoke before I take a week vacation to celebrate Mr. Cadabro and I's birthday. But when I return, I've got new content for you to enjoy, from interviews to product reviews. If you enjoyed the episode, please be sure to review the show wherever you stream. And to my Californian listeners, if you're a startup cannabis company looking for specialized guidance from a wellness brand advisor, check out Luna. I'll be sure to link her information in the show notes, along with more information about some of the stuff we covered in today's episode. To all my listeners near and far, no matter where you are, remember to smoke responsibly and take care. I'll see you around.